This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello and welcome to the Weather Lounge. I am your host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik, and thank you for listening to our podcast about, uh, you guessed it, the weather. Our company is called Weatherworks and we're located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me today is Jim Sullivan. He's our chief meteorologist here at Weatherworks, and he's also our long range expert. So we're going to discuss with him today about the past winter. What went right? What didn't go so right <laughs> um, with the forecast? Uh, we'll discuss the pattern and what led to the uh, the winter season and, and all the storminess that came in February throughout the Midwest and the Northeast. And, uh, you know, we have a lot to talk about with Jim. So rather than me just blabbering on and on and on, we'll uh, go to a real quick break and we'll be back right after this with meteorologist Jim Sullivan. Have you ever needed weather data for a snow removal contract? How about a slip and fall incident? Searching for the information online may sound simple enough. However, it can be tedious and difficult. Good news! Our data and stats team can simplify the process. We'll find any weather information from daily rainfall and snowfall totals to hourly temperatures and seasonal averages. On the legal side, our forensic department routinely produces certified reports by meteorologists assessing the weather conditions on and around accident dates. So don't waste your valuable time. Give WeatherWorks a call today at 908-850-8600 or email us at data at weatherworksinc.com. Remember, when you think weather, think WeatherWorks. And welcome back, everybody, to the Weather Lounge. I am meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Once again, I'm your host. I am only here by myself. I'm missing my co-host, meteorologist Brad Miller, but he'll be with us in the next podcast. But either way, I do have a guest today, and it is our chief meteorologist, Jim Sullivan. Jim, how are you doing today? Mike, I'm all right. Um, yeah, I guess we'll we'll see if the two of us can can do just <laughs> as well as you and Brad do. Um <laughs> Maybe it'll be even better with Brad and without Brad, I should say. And then <laughs> I, I won't tell him you said that. <laughs> well, now that all of our listeners know, you know, they'll be all like, "Wait a minute, we love Brad." Now, what are you <laughs> talking about? Um, but uh, no, I mean, I thought I'd bring you on, Jim, and uh, kind of discuss how the winter season went here. Yeah, and um, you know, we started out in actually early in fall with some early calls on the winter forecast. I mean, I think the first one is somewhere in August and then there's one in September and then our final in middle of the middle of October. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We, so we're only like three, three or so months away from starting the process for next winter, but (laughs) we'll enjoy these. Why why do you have to bring that up? I was (laughs) was about to say, we'll enjoy these three months or so of bliss while we have them. Um, But yeah, it's it's always always something winter here at Weatherworks, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, you know, Weatherworks uh, deals a lot with uh, snow and ice removal clients, so winter is a big deal over here. So um, yeah, we get started right away and and in August, starting to look at that upcoming winter, and and Jim over there kindly analyzes everything for us and uh, does a really good job at it too. Um, so, so Jim, let's, let's go through it a little bit. Um, you know, the, we'll start with the October forecast, our final winter forecast. Um, what were the players on the field there? What were you seeing? Um, and, and, and how did you expect it to play out? 
Yeah, so the big players on the field when we put out that October forecast, the biggest was La Nina, um, cooler water across the tropical Pacific, um, which can lead to uh, certain patterns through winter. Um, and, and when there's a La Nina, typically um, cold air dives into the the northern, north central United States, like the northern Rockies, the plains with more mild conditions from, from the deep south into the southeast and sometimes up the east coast. Um, so that was the big player. And, um, you know, which on its own would probably give a, a milder winter to, say, the mid-Atlantic, maybe the Ohio Valley. But the big question was, uh, would we get what we call blocking, which is when the jet stream kind of backs up and, and can allow some colder and colder air to come south and for some stormier conditions. And it was, it was you know, the kind of mixed signals. We thought maybe there would be some blocking at times. And the trick kind of was, when would, would there be that blocking that could bring us some colder weather? Yeah, I mean, that's the tough one, right? The blocking. I mean, La Nina, you know, we could we could see, you know, coming. We have models showing that pretty well. You know, you, you, you can watch the, the sea surface anomalies in the Pacific. But the blocking, is a, that's got to be one of the tougher things that you are trying to forecast here for the winter. It, it is. Um, and, you know, individual blocking episodes are, are very hard to predict more than two, maybe three weeks in advance. Um, so when we're heading into winter, we're just kind of looking for, is it generally favorable for, for blocking to occur or not? And uh, last, last winter, at least heading into it in October, the signals were mixed. Um, and, and the big wild card was what would the polar vortex in the stratosphere do? And, um, that, that certainly changed up in December and January and led to our more active stretch of weather later in winter. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, let's go into it a little bit. Let's go through the season. Let's go through the pattern. So we started out, well, a little bit, I, I, I have a note here saying we started out kind of slow, but actually it seems like depends on where you were, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, in the Northeast here, we had some snow near Halloween, and Jim, exactly. I don't know what it is about Halloween, hmm. but it seems like almost every year recently we've had something to contend with here in the Northeast around Halloween, uh, whether it's a snowstorm or or whether it's something like sandy or, or whatever I, I don't know what's going on jim I, can we can we fix this or, <laughs> yeah the seasons are changing around halloween that's for sure so you know we're, you kind of go from the the warmer quieter weather of this i don't want to say quieter weather in the summer but usually in summer we don't get big weather systems that cover you know half the united states we we get much more you know localized disturbances whereas Heading into winter, it does get much more active and stormy. So, yeah, I guess Halloween is kind of right in the middle of that transition period. It's getting colder to the north. Summer's still hanging on to the south, and some interesting things can happen. But, yeah, this year um, really depends on where you were. But, yeah, a lot of the northeast um, did see some accumulating snow the Friday before Halloween. Even the hills in northern New Jersey uh, got coated up with snow, and, you know, Boston got like four inches or so of snow. It was there. Sure did. Uh, snowiest uh, October on record, I believe, in the city of Boston. Yeah, and that was certainly an interesting setup there. Um, you know, we had uh, the remnants of Zeta uh, moving right. through. And, you know, I believe there was a secondary low that developed. It, it was a secondary low that actually brought the snows because Zeta, Zeta went through like 12 to 24 hours, I think, before the snow. But then another low pressure developed right behind it. 
and um, that that brought the snow because the cold air came in with it. Mm. Gotcha. Well, fortunately, other than uh, the secondary low behind Zeta, um, there wasn't a whole lot of snow (laughs) in October. I mean, there was just a few flurries around Chicago, um, you know, a couple of coatings, that sort of thing. Nothing crazy. And then we hit November and man, it was quite mild. Um, Yeah. I guess, yeah, the thing with this winter was when we had that favorable blocking um, for those few weeks from, you know, later in January through February, it was it was active, it was colder. But outside of that, yeah, there were some quiet stretches. So you can kind of see like that that mixed influence I sort of hinted at um, at the beginning of the episode here um, between the the La Nina and the blocking. So I, I believe initially we were thinking that It'd be a little bit more snowy, a little bit colder uh, in November and December. Right. Um, so December did get more active for sure. We did have more snow, but it wasn't um, particularly cold. Right? No, no. So, so, so what went on there? Yeah. So we actually, you know, so La Nina gives us a kind of seasonal pattern that you know over the course of the season it often averages out to that pattern I referenced, where it's colder. Over the northwestern, north central United States, warmer farther south and east. Um, And over the course of the season, that's how it often averages out. But you can still get like maybe a few weeks at a time where it differs from that. And that happened in November and December. Um, What happened was the Pacific jet stream got very, very strong because it was very stormy near Alaska. And that just kind of directed the jet stream straight into the west coast. And Our cold air does not come from the Pacific Ocean. It comes from up towards the North Pole. So if we're getting that jet stream blasting right into the West Coast, it tends to be a milder pattern. So that pattern, yeah, that was there for most of November, December, even into early January. And that limited how much cold air we had. But it was an active pattern. So when we got a little bit of cold air around the middle of December, the very active pattern was able to produce a pretty notable nor'easter, probably the biggest one in a couple of years, I'd say, um, in terms of how widespread it was in the middle of December. Yeah, I was going to say, because December wasn't actually, you know, that cold. It was actually above normal. It was a little warmer than normal, yeah, exactly. But was that just a timing thing with the mid-December storm that, I mean, it pretty much... Um, you know, hit uh, most of the Northeast. I mean, it slammed Binghamton, New York, upstate New York with, uh, I don't know what it was, over 40 inches It or was over right? 40 inches, yeah. It was, it was pretty crazy. And yeah, even the bigger cities, um, you know, Philadelphia got a lot of mixed precipitation out of that storm, but they also got six inches of snow. New York City got 10 inches. Boston and Hartford both got a little over a foot. So yeah, it was a pretty big widespread storm. And yeah, like you said, it wasn't all that cold, but it was cold enough. Um, and it was, it was definitely a timing thing because it got really mild towards the holidays and it was just cold enough around the middle of the month that that one bigger storm kind of took advantage of the cold air, especially kind of along and Northwest of 95. And I think that's something that you know, many out there have to consider is like, look, even though we're above normal in winter months, it's still quite cold. <laughs> it's it's not a warm time of year, right? Right. So it's it's when we say above normal temperatures, you know, you know, maybe some some people get the idea of oh, it's going to be fifty, sixty degrees or something like that, but that's like way up there, <laughs> okay. right? Like you know, if you're in 
you know, average lows, you know, once they're below freezing, you know, you can have actually an above normal low temperature and still get snow um, in winter. So, yeah, once you get closer to the heart of winter, like, yeah, if you're in the fringe months, say November or March, um, you, you definitely need some at least average, if not colder than average air to get, you know, any legitimate snow here on the East Coast. But yeah, once you're December, January, February, um, as long as it's not, you know, like you kind of said, like a, a quote unquote blowtorch, as we affectionately call it, where temperatures are, you know, 50, 60 plus degrees, it, you know, might still be workable. Right, sure. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that was the big, the big storm of the of the month there that's for sure I honestly mean, I, yeah big storm of the first half of the winter really because man outside of that it barely snowed until pretty much yeah. the end of january i was gonna say there wasn't a lot of snow but uh, you know even the midwest they they had some events in december but it didn't seem like anything was that crazy yes they had um some more frequent snow uh, through the first half very small events out yeah. there yeah and it wasn't crazy but uh, you know one thing i gotta say about that storm um, that happened in December. It was amazing how far inland that heaviest snow ban went. I mean, I re- <laughs> it was and and the and the intensity of it was so impressive. I remember seeing a couple of obs or observations coming out of the Binghamton area um, from an NWS employee that was saying four inch an hour rates. Yeah. And they already had 20 inches of snow on the ground, <laughs> you know, and I'm going, oh, no. And that band was not moving <laughs> very fast. And yeah, and it, it, it got Binghamton, you know, it, st- it started kind of like North of State College, got Binghamton, got Albany pretty good. I think they got up, they, they got close to two feet and then it continued all the way into parts of uh, Vermont, and New Hampshire. So it was it was a big, big area that got a lot of snow. Um, and then, yeah, you know, enough to plow and be significant all the way down to 95. So big area affected. Yeah. I mean, that, that storm was quite impressive. And like I said, I mean, how far inland, I mean, it, it, I, to me, that seemed a little bit anomalous that that band was that far inland to me. Um, did it seem that way to your, to you and your, experience? it was, it was definitely farther inland than the computer models we look at said it would be even a day or so out. They were saying like, oh, it might be more like the Lehigh Valley, north, northern Jersey towards like Boston. But it was like close to 100 miles, even farther northwest than the models had it, like less than 24 hours out. So it, it definitely ended up more inland than expected. Um, yeah, I think it was just because it was such a strong and strengthening system that those those have a way to end up pushing the heaviest snow a little bit farther inland. Um, even though, you know, a few days ahead of time, it looked good for 95. And I don't want to say it didn't snow along I-95 because again, you know, Philly and New York City, that was their biggest storm uh, at that point in three winters um, since the 1718 winter. So it was pretty notable, even if the heaviest snow ended up way inland. Right. And just for everybody out there listening, before we get too far into this, our main forecast area here at Weatherworks is basically um, from the Midwest around Chicago, um, you know, through Indianapolis, through uh, Ohio and into the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast. So if we don't talk a whole lot about, you know, I don't know, Tennessee or Colorado or Minnesota. Well, that's kind of why. Um, <laughs> just so you know, um, that's why we're focusing on the northeast quarter of the country. Um, but we do have certified snowfall totals that cover the entire country. Um, so we do not 
um, you know, limit ourselves in that way and in, in any form. Um, so, um, but back to the forecast, uh, Jim, you know, we started warming up around the holidays, around Christmas. Um, and then, you know, we headed into January and, you know, to be honest, it wasn't a whole lot happening to start out January either. <laughs> yeah, so the the pieces that kind of gave us the colder, snowier second half of winter, um, really it was just a, a four or so week period, but the pieces that gave us that were in motion by January. In fact, they were kind of in motion November and December, but very slow evolving process. So I guess um, I don't know, Mike, is now the time to talk about the polar vortex, the stratospheric warming event, because that's kind of what turned winter around. Right. So, I mean, you know, we certainly can. Um, I just wouldn't want to hit back at our original forecast back in January. We had a January and February forecast that was saying, you know, temperatures were going to be a little bit milder than normal and, and the snow was going to be a little bit uh, less than normal. Uh, was our original forecast. And then we uh, did a midwinter update, um, which is something we're going to be doing regularly. Um, we did one back in uh, 2020 also, 2019-20. Um, this year we had the scheduled update around mid-January. And, you know, what were we looking at at this point? What were What were the changes? You know, because some people were kind of thinking, you know, well, hey, we had that decent storm in December. Not a lot's been happening so far. You know, what what's going on? You know, a lot of times, you know, the, uh, hey, is winter over? Uh, start popping out, uh, you know, even uh, even in the January, you know, when we're having January thaws, you know, you know people are, are, are sometimes asking us those questions. Um, so let's go through it, Jim. What do we start seeing with this midwinter update? Yeah, so I guess by the time we sent out that midwinter update, we had a pretty good idea when the blocking that was kind of uncertain in October, when or even if it would occur with those mixed signals by, by mid-January, um, stuff was in motion. You know how I said a little earlier, individual blocking episodes are maybe predictable two or three weeks out. Well, the blocking was starting to develop in mid-January. And at that point, we could kind of see like, blocking's developing stuff had happened that we'll get to here in a few minutes that kind of led to confidence that the blocking would persist for at least a few weeks so at that point in mid-january we kind of knew like hey over the next two weeks we're really going to start turning colder more active and we also kind of knew that it's probably going to last a few weeks before maybe relaxing into march mm -hmm. yeah and i mean really once we got towards late january this uh setup really started um, to take place, right? Right. It happened quick. Um, we had a little event, I want to say, right around January 25th, brought some mixed precipitation to a lot of the East Coast, also brought a fair amount of snow to the Midwest. Um, they started getting active, I want to say, a week or so before the East Coast did. So they I think Chicago, it really started picking up around mid-January, whereas on the East Coast, it was more the last week of the month because we had that little little event i want to say about a january 25th somewhere around there and then we had a big nor'easter um started january 31st and oh gosh continued until eh, february 2nd or 3rd it was a long <laughs> one <laughs> yeah that's for sure um and that not only affected the northeast too uh the out towards chicago also had plenty of snow that was a big 
juicy, um, for lack of a better term, <laughs> west to east moving system. It dropped, yeah, heavy snow from the Midwest. Um, Chicago got a lot. I mean, the I-70 quarter, Indianapolis, Columbus, they got several inches. So Pittsburgh got a lot of snow too. And then, yeah, it redeveloped off the East Coast and there was a lot of blocking um, near Greenland, which slows the, the whole jet stream down right on the East Coast. So that blocking caused that storm to just stall um, pretty much right off the Jersey coast. Right. And yeah. it dumped a lot of snow for a long time. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, you know, I remember uh, seeing some of the computer guidance uh, ahead of this storm and, and people were texting me and saying like, well, you know, it looks like you're in the bullseye in Eastern Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I had like, I don't know, a 55 inch spot uh, sitting over me. And I'm going, get out of here. Like, what are you talking about? Now, you didn't quite get 55. No, um, but it was probably 30. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you saying that it was big enough <laughs> despite yeah. not quite being 55 inches? <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely the biggest storm I've seen in a long time. Um, you know, probably since... Um, what was it the 2016 storm 2016, in Jan- yeah. January? I gotta say, I, I think um, you know, originally from Cleveland, I've seen I've seen 30, 40 inches of lake effect snow from one event, but drawn out over several days. Um, this was about 30 inches roughly, and most of it fell in a day. So it's definitely the most snow I think I've ever seen at once, um, and it blew around a lot too. It was quite a sight, that's for sure. Yeah, those big, uh, the big nor'easters are always what we're looking for here on the Northeast, especially for the snow lovers, that's for sure. Um, and we, we do like snow. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim, uh, you talked a lot about um, um, blocking and all the blocking that was setting up ahead of this big storm in early February. Um, a lot of people talk about uh, the NAO, or the, which is a North Atlantic Oscillation, or the Arctic Oscillation, which is the AO. Can, can you kind of explain that a little bit for our listeners? Because I think there's still um, you know, some confusion or uncertainty about what these things actually are. What does this blocking mean? Yeah, so blocking, it, it literally, it, it is actually kind of an intuitive term uh, for one. Sometimes we come up with terms that aren't intuitive um, and makes it harder to explain. But yeah, what blocking is, is when there's literally a, what we call a ridge in the jet stream, um, where that, that's where the jet stream goes, you know, basically has to go around the ridge um, because the atmosphere is literally thicker where that ridge is than surrounding areas. So the jet stream runs into that ridge. It backs up, it has to go around it, and it buckles. So uh, the NAO, or North Atlantic Oscillation, is when there is a ridge in the jet stream centered somewhere near Greenland. Um, And when there's a ridge near Greenland, the the jet stream backs up and buckles behind it, which is pretty much the east coast of the United States. So when you have a negative NAO, the jet stream tends to buckle near the east coast, which keeps us colder. And also if there is a storm, which there was at the beginning of February, make sure it's slow moving. So instead of maybe zipping on by and dropping a few inches, it sat there for a couple of days and dropped a few feet. Um, so that's the negative NAO, uh, the Arctic Oscillation or AO that that you mentioned. Um, that's a more broad term. That's just when there is a ridge in the jet stream somewhere in the high latitude. So the AO has a much larger domain, if you will, so it's it you know a negative NAO definitely favors East Coast cold and snow, 
Um, the negative AO um, definitely encourages cold and snow both along the East Coast, but really anywhere in the mid latitudes. Um, so some, you know, so if you're say in Chicago, a negative NAO may not help you as much as it does on the East Coast, but a negative AO still signals at least an increased risk for for cold weather there. Right, and you know, even with the jet stream, talking about the jet stream, the jet stream, and basically we're talking about you know the pretty much upper level winds, and a lot of times the storms are um, they're, they're driven by the jet stream, right. and, you know, fueled by the jet stream. So if the jet stream is slower and and kind of wavier or buckling, as I say, um, you tend to get bigger storms that are slower moving than if the jet stream is just no blocking and it just is zipping on by west to east. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, those are kind of instances where you might get those Alberta clippers or something like that that just kind of fly off, you know, from the Midwest into the East Coast. They drop a couple of inches and that's about it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and usually if you have a jet stream like that, if it gets cold, it doesn't stay cold. Um, whereas if we have the blocking, um, everything's slower moving. So if it gets cold, you're more likely to stay cold. Yeah. So in February, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just the one storm. It was busy. (laughs) It was quite busy. Um, a lot of us here at Weatherworks, a lot of our forecasters were, uh, um, having full 12 hour days. Uh, it seemed like almost, uh, every several days we were getting in there for a long shift. I mean, it, it seemed, yeah, there was like, I want to say, yeah, it was a four or five week stretch where I feel like every week had multiple pretty notable events somewhere where we forecast for. Um, yeah, so I guess kind of what, what happened was that blocking stayed in place. Um, and the blocking really did start developing in January, which is why like the Midwest, like Chicago, started picking up a little bit earlier than we did. It just took a little bit longer for the cold air to make its way to the East Coast. So yeah, it developed in January, stayed in place through most of February. And what happened was, you know how I mentioned in December, even into early January, we kind of had that alteration to the La Nina pattern where it was very mild across the Western and Central United States. Well, that alteration went away through the month of January and into February, and it started getting much colder in the Central United States. Um, and that, that, that kind of... Um, explains why Texas got so cold there briefly with, with their record cold snap. Um, so yeah, we, we got into a much more typical La Nina pattern where it was very cold over the central United States. There was a little bit of a Southeast Ridge. If you think back, like places like the Carolinas, Georgia, they did not get much snow. Um, and you don't think of them as places that get snow, but they can, and they didn't despite the blocking. And that was because there was that southeast ridge, which kept them milder despite all the blocking. So you have the southeast ridge, you have cold over the central United States, and that puts a nice corridor where we're up and down right on the gradient from the Ohio Valley through the mid-Atlantic into New England, and storms just kind of kept zipping right along that gradient uh, for a few weeks. Yeah, and uh, for a while, like we said, it was one after the other. Uh, I know there was uh, even a storm in Cincinnati on the 8th to 9th, dropped over 8 inches of snow. Um, Chicago got pummeled by lake effect snow. Yeah, Chicago went from, you know, in the middle of January, way below average to, to a snowier than average winter. And it almost all happened in like a five or six week stretch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, downtown reported something like 17 inches 
Um, yeah, that in was that event. So. That was a crazy storm because usually lake effect snow occurs on the other side of the lake because usually the winds are west to east. Uh, but there, there was a northeast wind, which um, you know, gosh, I. You know, for for all the years I've kind of been following Chicago weather, we'll we'll say it's maybe a solid ten or so years um, that I've been paying close enough to attention to remember biggest lake effect event I can remember on that side of Lake Michigan. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. Um, you know, I remember oh way back in the late two thousands, I, I think I did a a certified snowfall totals report for Chicago who had a, a pretty good lake effect band, but I, I I think it was only like something like eight inches, nine inches tops. Only eight or nine inches. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for lake effect in Chicago it was pretty impressive, you know. But yeah, compared to seventeen, eighteen inches, whatever this one was, yeah. And there might have been some lake influence in the Groundhog Day storm back in twenty eleven. Right. That is that is kind of a little more common where they get a big snowstorm on its own and then the lake adds maybe a few inches. That happens a little more commonly. But yeah, an event like this where uh, there was a little bit of quote unquote system snow, but I think without the lake influence, it might have been like a two inch snow event because places not far from Chicago, like Rockford, um, they only got a couple inches out of that. And then, yeah, where the lake effect was, it was a foot and a half. So the lake added a lot in, in this instance. Right. So we finally got a below average temperature uh, for the month of February uh, for many locations, and, but it wasn't by a whole lot. Right. It, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Like we, we, you know, we're, it's, you know, easily the most active winter I've been at Weatherworks for. Again, I've only been here for a few um, full time in office, um, you know, so most active winter I've personally been here for. But yeah, you think back November, warmer than average by quite a bit. December got a nice got a nice snow event which was good we needed it after last winter was so quiet I you know I know not everyone wants snow but a lot of our a lot of the our, our the people we forecast for they needed to snow a little bit so it was good that we got that in December but December was even a couple degrees warmer than normal so not not super warm but a little mild and then yeah January was definitely mild although it started turning late and then February finally a chilly month before March was mild again. Yeah. And, you know, in, in, in February, I mean, we did have that, uh, the polar vortex break up a little bit, right? Right. So yeah. What, what drove all this blocking, you know, I told, you know, I mentioned like by the time we, we sent out that mid January update, we knew that blocking was developing and that it would last. And we knew that because of what the polar vortex was doing. Um, so yeah, what, when, when, when I say polar vortex, I, we're talking about, so we, the, the level of the atmosphere we live in and where pretty much all of our weather occurs is called the troposphere. And that's like the lowest eh, 35 or 40,000 feet. And then the next level is the stratosphere. And that's where the polar vortex that we're talking about lives in winter. It's there every year, not an uncommon feature. It's there every winter. Um, the winter of 2019, 2020, that polar vortex was very, very strong, which encouraged a lack of blocking, a west to east jet stream, you know, smaller systems, milder weather, and it barely snowed in, in the mid-Atlantic because of that. And then this winter, the polar vortex started kind of strong in November, but then it started weakening in December and it broke apart in January. And it's a, it's a few week process for it to break up and then potentially impact our weather. So it broke up kind of in early January and we started um, feeling the effects by late January and they lasted through February. 
Right. It's interesting how there's that uh, big lag um, between it breaking up and actually getting some cold air um, to flow into the uh, uh, North America there. That's because, yeah, typically typically the stratosphere doesn't directly affect our weather. The, the only time it really can is from late fall through early spring. Um, and it's kind of an indirect effect, but... Um, if there is a significant disturbance like we had this winter, or if it's really strong like it was in the winter of 1920, it, it can have a rather prolonged effect. Right, you know, for sure. Um, and, you know, when it does break up, it doesn't mean that the cold air has to go into North America. It can easily go into Europe. Europe, right. And a lot of times... It- a lot of times it does. A lot of times it goes into both Europe and North America. And we saw that this year, um, you know, like, because the winter of 1920 was, I want to say it was easily the warmest on record in a lot of Western Europe, like, you know, the United Kingdom, France, into Scandinavia, like, you know, Sweden. This winter, you know, there they actually got cold and got snow on the other side of the pond. And it actually started there a couple weeks before it started here, which is common. A lot of times it will dump into Europe first if, if we get a polar vortex breakup like we had this winter. So yeah, dumped cold into Europe. And for those who like snow, thankfully it did eventually dump into North America. Why, sure. But then, you know, hey, we had the act of February. You know, everybody was scrambling. We were super busy. Um, but then it seemed like when we hit March, all of a sudden, what happened? It, well, <laughs> it just it just stopped snowing and got warm again. It really did just stop. Um, yeah, the polar vortex pulled itself back together, and the blocking that that was around went away. Um, to make it really simple, um, which is typical, because usually if we do get blocking from a polar vortex breakup, it lasts one to two months um, after the breakup. And it lasted like six or so weeks, I want to say, uh, you know, about mid-January through most of February. So now that was kind of right on target for it to kind of warm back up. Now, sometimes it's a more gradual progression from a cold and snowy pattern to to something milder. Um, it did happen very quick. And I, I think this winter kind of underscores the concerns we had heading into the season that if we didn't have blocking, it would have been a really, really mild winter um, because all the months where we didn't have blocking, like between November and March, four of the five months were warmer than normal here on the East Coast and some of them by a lot. So it's a good thing we got the blocking when it when, when we did. It happened kind of right, right when you expect the most snow, you know, mid-January and through February because December, it can snow, but it's a little bit early, especially like farther south. Um, Jan- kind of January, February are your biggest months, especially in a spot like DC. So blocking kind of happened at the right time and gave us a few weeks of winter. And then when it went away, the concerns for milder weather kind of reared their head. Yeah. I mean, Hey, in all honesty though, that stretch in February, you know, I don't know if I've seen it snow so often, uh, in my backyard. It basically. was, it was. Yeah, I, I, it was impressive. Again, um, <laughs> you know, one thing my first couple winters in Jersey that yeah, before this one that I noticed was, yeah, you can go a long time without snow. I, I was not used to that being from Cleveland, where you just get a, a chilly wind across the lake and it snows. Um, <laughs> we, we don't have that here on the East Coast. No, no. You get a couple of flurries from the lakes, uh, maybe a snow squall or two if you get lucky. But uh... yeah. So February definitely kind of reminded me of a Midwest winter where it just snows. 
Um, and we kicked it off with a huge storm, which I think burned a lot of people out uh, to, to lead off the stretch. Well, look, I was very happy to have my snowblower. Um, I got a system down now where I know exactly what I'm doing <laughs> um, because I did it so many times this winter. Um, but so I'm grateful for that. Now I have a nice system. I get done real quick. Um, before I didn't know, cause we weren't getting a whole lot of snow. So I'm like, Oh no, what do I do with this six inches? Like where what are, what are you like, you know, going like diagonal or something, or now, you know, you're just going straight lines or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was just, you know, where to, where to go with it. Do I, do I, do I blow it over here or do I, you know, throw the snow over there, you know, which way do I go? But now I got a good system. It's like mowing the grass now. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just go back and forth, back and forth. I got it. Um, but, um, yeah, so we had the break in March. There wasn't a whole lot going on. It was warm. And then just to bookend the year, you know, with the, you know, a little bit of snow in October. And then now it's April and everybody wants spring, but it's snow. not. Not quite. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically what happened was um, the polar vortex broke down for good in April um, and there was a little bit more blocking in two spots near Greenland again, where we had it at times in December, January, and February. It returned there in April and also near Alaska, um, where it, it, the Alaskan blocking is, so the Greenland blocking can give us East Coast snowstorms. It's a very good pattern for nor'easters. It's the blocking over Alaska where if we're going to freeze our behinds off, it's probably because there's blocking over Alaska. And we briefly got it in February and Texas froze, froze uh, literally, um, you know, a very impressive cold shot. But that was about it until April where we got a little bit more Alaskan blocking. And yeah, so we, we had the stormy pattern from the Greenland blocking and the cold pattern from the Alaskan blocking. And even though it was April between the two, it was enough. And it was not just like, you know, a spot like New England, like Boston does average, I want to say an inch or two of snow in April. So even though it feels uncommon, it can certainly snow in New England in April, but wow, Indianapolis, easily their biggest snow that late in the season um, on record, I think. Same with like Columbus and Cincinnati. I mean, like Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, they, they got like three, four inches of snow. And it was what, April 23rd, I want to say somewhere around there. I, yeah, I think it was somewhere around or, there. Yeah, I mean, or the I, 21st or 22nd, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, I mean, that was really late in the season. I mean, we had uh, snow in the 15th and the 16th here in the Northeast. And, and New England and elevation snows at that. And and some of those higher elevations in New England got like eight, 10 inches of snow. Um, and it even, even snowed an inch down to the coast of Boston. And it briefly snowed hard enough to cover pavement at like 11 in the morning in April, even despite the sun angle. So that was an impressive system, especially for the higher elevations of New England, like you said. And then, like I said, that was, you know, a little bit rare for how how much it was that late, but not unprecedented. But yeah, the Midwest that was remarkable. Yeah, uh, and I'm just uh, looking back at our winter summaries that we sent our clients, and it looks like a general two to four inches um, from Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, uh, basically all of those areas. <laughs> um, that's pretty substantial on uh, the 20th and 21st. Yeah, and there, there were. There were a lot of areas. I think Indianapolis might have been one, but also Toledo, um, like Northwest Ohio. 
it was their biggest snowstorm on record that late in the season, or one of them, um, one of the top couple. Um, Cleveland got, you know, spots in Cleveland got close to half a foot, which was their biggest snow that late since 2005. So again, this is not something that, you know, happens every couple of years that, that in the Midwest was, um, definitely one of the biggest on record. So late in the season after almost nothing for almost two months. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I think that about wraps this up for the for the past winter. So while I got you here, Jim, how about next winter? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. You know, I I, I I I have I do have my thoughts. I don't know if I want to share them though, because they're probably you know, you know, accuracy um, this far out is a little bit <laughs> sketchy to say the least. But I do have my thoughts, so we'll start putting them on paper, like I said, and not not too long, a few months. Yeah, so you see that uh, here in uh, late spring, uh, heading into early summer, Jim is already thinking about the next winter. So it's a long process of analyzing uh, the entire atmosphere here. For sure. Um, So, Jim, thanks a lot for uh, coming out to the podcast. I know you've been here for... Um, a long range episode for the winter and then the midwinter update and you uh, kind of pop in from time to time. I do enjoy when you uh, come onto our show and, and I'm sure our listeners out there do too. For sure. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a, a fun format to, to talk about all this stuff. But that's it for our podcast for uh, this week. And thank you everybody for listening and joining us. Remember, um, you can always find Weatherworks on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, wherever there's a social media channel, we're on it. We haven't gotten into TikTok yet, though. What do you think about that, Jim? TikTok? You know, I, I do have a TikTok, <laughs> um, if that means anything. Um, I don't publish my own content, but I'd love to see Weatherworks on there. I don't know. I don't know. Might might not be up to me though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we get some people like making some silly dances. I'm not sure, but uh, that's uh, something for another day. But um, um, but yeah, find us on those station or on those uh, on those channels there. Uh, you know, search uh, Weatherworks, um, and you can find this podcast, the Weather Lounge, on anywhere uh, you can get your podcast. Just search the Weather Lounge. You'll certainly find us. Um, And also, if you have any suggestions for the show or suggestions for guests, you can give us an email, weatherlounge at weatherworksinc.com. Until two more weeks, I think we'll have another episode coming out. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you then.